Let us pray. Abba Father, we pray that we will be conscious of your presence in our midst. And as we look to your word, we pray, Lord, that your word will speak to us, will encourage us, Father, this morning, and will challenge us. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Friends, the, the gospel passage for this week's lectionary reading is taken from Mark chapter 13, verses actually verses 1 to 8 only, but I thought it would be good if we look at more verses as the whole chunk. So we will be looking at Mark 13, verses 1 to 13 uh, this morning. Mark chapter 13, the, chap, you know, the, the passage that we are looking at, you know, begins, begins with Jesus leaving the temple. And as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples, we don't know who exactly, the text does not tell us exactly who, you know, this disciple draws Jesus' attention back to the temple and he says this, as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, he says, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent building." You know, it is evident that this disciple of Jesus was very impressed by the structure of the temple building. And he describes the stones as massive, and he describes the building as magnificent. And this disciple, he actually marvels at the architecture, he marvels at human creativity, and he marvels at the complexity of what a human can design and build what massive stones, what magnificent building. Now, does Jesus look at the temple in the same manner? No, he doesn't. In fact, he says this, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. You see, the temple is extremely important to a Jew. And the temple was the center of worship. It is a, a place where people come together to offer up their sacrifices so that their sins can be washed. It is a place where God dwells. You know, in a sense, it is, it is, a, it is a visible and tangible expression of the presence of God. So to a Jew... The temple is like, you know, it's the place, you know, temple, sacred, right? It's the place. But here, Jesus seems to prophesy against the temple. He is prophesying that the temple will be destroyed. And Jesus not only spoke against the temple here in Mark chapter 13 as he leaves the temple, he also spoke against it while he was there in the temple. This we find in Mark chapter 11 whereby Jesus used an, you know, an acted-out parable to speak against the temple. 
If you just look back that chapter in Mark chapter 11, you know, you will find that, you know, as Jesus enters into the temple, he will begin to drive out those who are buying and selling. You know, like, you know, Jesus suddenly becomes like a little aggressive, you know. You know, he, he overturns the table of the money changers and the benches of those who are selling doves. You know, he will not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And this is what he says to the people there. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. You know, to Jesus, somehow the temple has just lost its true meaning. The temple is a place of worship, and throughout scripture, we find you know, from the time the tent of meeting to the tabernacle and to the temple, it has always been a place whereby people worship God. It has always been a place whereby people would come, make sacrifices, and make right with God. It's always been a place whereby the presence of God dwells. The temple is God's house. This is what Jesus says. My house. Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And we find this, you know, this particular portion of scripture is right in the middle between the passage about the fig tree, something like this. Mark 11, 12 to 14, Jesus curses the fig tree. You know, we will find in that Two ver three verses, 12, 13, and 14, you know, we find Jesus was hungry. He finds, he sees a fig tree in a distance, you know, and the fig tree is, was full of leaves, full of leaves. And so Jesus went nearer to see if, you know, so, so full of tree, leaves, man. let's go and see whether if there's fruit on it. And so as he comes near to the tree, he finds nothing but leaves. And Jesus curses the fig tree, saying, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And after saying that, he then enters into the temple, and then he said this, the one that we just looked at, you know, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you have turned it into a dent of robbers. And then the next day after that, the fig tree which Jesus cursed with us. You know, the... And Peter, you know, he will, he will say to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. You know, friends, this, this fig tree incident is an acted out parable that speaks of the destruction of the temple. You know, just like how the fig tree was full of leaves on the outside but had no fruit, the temple looks good on the outside. Massive stones, magnificent, but it does not bear the fruit that it is supposed to bear. The temple looked magnificent. That was how the disciple saw the temple to be. Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus says, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. 
And Jesus, you know, he prophesied that the temple will be destroyed. And history tells us that it did happen. The temple was completed almost in AD 64. Jesus' prophecy that not one stone would be left on another was fulfilled in AD 17, when the Romans completely destroyed the temple and the entire city of Jerusalem. And some of Jesus' own disciples lived to see the destruction of the temple themselves. You know, friends, you know, God is present with us here in church, in church, you know. You know, every Sunday, we gather together in church. You know, the pastors, you know, myself and Pastor Ronald, you know, together with the worship enablers, you would see us, right, before the service, uh, we, we gather up here to, to pray, you know, together with the liturgies, together with the worship leader, together with the scripture reading, together with, the, with our friends who are doing the sound system and the, and the computer. We will all gather here in front to pray. And I also know that, you know, there's a group of intercessors that will also be gathering and will also be praying uh, for the church before the service begins. And what we pray essentially is that God's presence will be with us. That as we come to meet with God, God will come and meet with us. And we pray that God would minister to us. That's what we pray. And I truly believe that God is with us here this morning. I believe it with all my heart. Do you, my friends? Do you believe that God is here with us? And so if God is here with us in Penang Trinity, and as he sees us, you know, just like how Jesus saw the fig tree and then approaches the fig tree, as God sees us and approaches us, because that's what we pray for, Ma, we pray for God's presence to be with us, I wonder what he sees. As God looks into the heart of Penang Trinity, what does he see? And, you know, friends, this, this is a very difficult question to answer. You know, we, we may not have a magnificent building with massive stones, but we do have a good structure. We have good equipment. We have good lightings. We have a beautiful altar. And we spend quite a bit of our time and quite a bit of our resources in making sure that our structure is in place week in, week out. Now, I'm not saying that we should not. Don't get me wrong, okay? We should. You know, this place, you know, this sanctuary is a gift from God and we ought to be a good steward of this gift. But as much as we spend time in making sure that our structure is in a good state, do we spend equal amount of time or in fact more in making sure that our heart, the heart of Penang Trinity, is also in a good state. You know, friends, we live in the period known as the last days. You know, we do not know when exactly is the last day. 
And our concern should not be on when that is going to happen, but we live, we live in the period known as the last days. We don't know when is it, but we live in the period. You see, that was what the disciples wanted to know. When, you know, the disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they would ask Jesus in this verse 4, tell us, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled. The truth is, my dear friends, no one actually knows when the last day is. Not even Jesus himself, because if you look way down, Mark chapter 13, in verses 32 and 33, he says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. See, Jesus also don't know. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So friends, we, we do not know when the last day is, but while we wait for that day, we are called, if you look at your sermon outline, we are called to be vigilant, we are called to be courageous, and we are called to be steadfast in our walk as disciples of Jesus. Now, as we read the subsequent verses, you know, from verse 5 to verse 13, we find that Jesus, Jesus gives signs or rather events that will happen. He's, you know, he says that there will be wars and rumors of wars, verses 7 and 8. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. Such, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, why does Jesus refer to all this as the beginning of birth pains? You know, some of you uh, mothers, some of you mothers, would probably be able to identify with birth pains. I mean, I mean, you would know what birth pains are because you would have experienced it. I, on the other hand, have not experienced it. But, but I guess I do know that giving birth is painful. Now, although giving birth is painful, the mother is still willing to carry on because at the end of it, new life is brought forth. You know, you rarely find a mother who suddenly say, hey, stop, stop. Too painful, I stop. I end here. No, right? Unless if there is a medical complication, then okay, la, straight away, direct to the operating room. But under normal circumstances, a mother would not say, stop, I don't want to continue. No, she doesn't do that. She carries on, she perseveres on until new life is brought forth. 
Likewise, all these wars, all these rumors of wars, earthquakes, these famines are the beginning of what the future is when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, we who have placed our faith in him will be ushered into the kingdom, life with God. Now, while we wait for that glorious day to come, we are called to be vigilant. We are called to be watchful during times of distress, during times of confusion, during times of desperateness, and during times when we are most vulnerable. If you look at verse 5, Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. You see, my, you see, my friends, when, just imagine, you know, when, when a war happens, or when we hear rumors of war, you know, when disaster happens, you know, such as earthquakes and famines, it is during such times that we become distressed, we become confused, we become desperate, and we become vulnerable. And during such times, I believe that we then become the easy target of deception because we are distressed, ma, right? And Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Now, what is deception? Deception is lies. Uh, lies. Deception is also half-truth. Uh, it's not the absolute truth, but it's half-truth. And so do not buy into lies. Lies about Jesus. You know, Jesus says that many will come in my name. And many will claim that I am he and deceive many. So we need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant, especially when we are distressed, especially when we are confused, especially when we are desperate, and especially when we are vulnerable. That's the first. We are called to be vigilant. Secondly, while we wait for that day to come, we are called to be courageous. During times when we are called to be a witness for Jesus. Look at verse 9. It says, you must be on guard, on your guard. You will be handed over to the local council and flogged in the synagogue on account of me you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Even so, Jesus says that the gospel must be preached. I don't know about you, my dear friends, but when I read this, right, when I read this, I'm scared, you know. I'm scared. Imagine being arrested and beaten up. How to be courageous. And we know that the apostles experienced such tremendous persecution. And Stephen is one of them, if I would just use Stephen as an example. Now, who is this Stephen? We read about Stephen in Acts chapter 6. 
And Acts chapter 6, verse 8 says this about Stephen. Say, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And the passage, you know, Acts chapter 6 would tell us that because of that, because he was doing all these things and because he was full of God's grace and power, great opposition from the members of the synagogue rose against him. They began to argue with him, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. And so Stephen was seized and brought before the Sanhedrin, and standing there before the Sanhedrin, Stephen spoke. Now, what did he speak about? He spoke about Israel and about who God is. In a sense, he was witnessing to the people there about who God is. Now, almost the entire chapter of Acts chapter 7 records Stephen's witness to the Sanhedrin. Now, was Stephen released after that? Was, was he released after that? No, he wasn't. In fact, it made them even more angry. The people got even more angry. Uh, Acts 7, 54 and 55. When they heard this, they were, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And as we read on the chapter, we know that Stephen was stoned to death. He was a man who died courageously. Now, how can we be courageous in the midst of persecution? You know, we may not be facing persecution now. As in, as in now, we are, we, are not, we are not being arrested and... We're not being arrested now. We are, we are sitting here, right, in church, not being arrested. But we need to decide now that we will not turn our back from God when we eventually face persecution. You know, my dear friends, we deceive ourselves if we tell ourselves, you know, when the time comes, when the time comes, then I will decide. When the time comes, let me see whether I can take the pain or not. I'm sure God understands that. I'm human, ma. Don't do that, my dear friends. Decide now. Decide now that no matter what kind of persecution we may go through, whether it is physical, whether it is emotional, or whether it is any verbal sense of persecution, whatever sense of persecution, decide now that you will live courageously that you will not turn our backs, we, including myself, that we will not turn our back from Jesus. You know, Jesus would say this, Mark chapter 13, 11, eh? whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus assures us of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will teach us. You know, friends, about two weeks ago, I was at the Alpha Day Away. You know, Alpha, you know Alpha Course? We have Alpha Course. And Alpha Day Away is the day when we learn about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Alpha Day Away, another name for that will be the Holy Spirit Weekend. So 
Those of you who have attended the Alpha course would know what I'm talking about. And during this Alpha weekend, uh, Alpha day away, in one of the videos, the speaker was using an illustration. Okay, it is, it is an illustration, or rather it's an illustration of, of a pilot, pilot who got into trouble trying to land his plane. So in distress and in anguish, he anxiously calls out for help because he's losing control of the plane, he's going to crash and he's going to die. And a voice from the control room begins to speak. And the voice begins to teach the pilot what to do. And besides teaching him what to do, the voice, because he keeps speaking, the voice was assuring the pilot of his presence there with him. So he said, you know, do this, press this, you know, be calm. He was giving instructions. And the pilot eventually managed to finally land the plane safely after being guided from this voice from the control room. Okay, the pilot cannot see who is speaking, but the voice, right, from the control room. Now, friends, in the same manner, when we find ourselves in distress, when we find ourselves in anguish, when we find ourselves persecuted, when we find ourselves going through trials, the Holy Spirit will be like that voice from the control room guiding us along the way. But did you notice that as much as the Holy Spirit will guide us, we still need to land the plane. As much as the voice from the control room was guiding the pilot, the pilot still had to land the plane. The voice doesn't come and then move the pilot, as I move away and then take over. It doesn't do that. The pilot still has to do it himself. He still had to land the plane. Likewise, my dear friends, we have the Holy Spirit with us, but we still need to live out our lives. The Holy Spirit guides us. He cannot walk for us. He walks alongside us. So while we wait for the day to come, the last day, don't know when, the last day, let us live our lives courageously, especially during times when we are called to be a witness for Jesus, the Holy Spirit will teach us, but we still need to land the plane. We still need to walk our lives as disciples. Moving on, lastly, as we wait for the day to come, don't know when, but the day to come, we are called to be steadfast during times of conflict and division caused by the name of Jesus. If you look at verses 12 and 13, it says this. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You know, we see this already happening in our midst. There's one, one person, I think, I, I believe I've mentioned him before, this guy by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh. 
you know, Ajit Fernando will write a lot about him in his books. Okay, Sadhu Sundar Singh. And if we read his story, this guy, right, this Singh guy, Sadhu Sundar Singh, wanted to kill himself by throwing himself upon the railway track. You know, the tutu tra train, throw himself on the railway track and kill himself. You know, because he was a man who just was just pursuing religion so much, and he felt that it was so meaningless up to the point that he wanted to take his own life. And he said, no, I'm going to kill myself. Whoever that's up there, God, whoever is the true God, you better appear before me. If not, I'm going to kill myself. Now, don't try this, okay? Don't. All right. But that was where Sadhu Sundar Singh was in his journey with in his, in his pursuit of trying to figure out who this true God is. And he said that that very night, he had a vision of Jesus. He had a vision of Jesus. And so he told his father, to cut the long story short, he told his father that he wanted to become a Christian, which he did. Okay, he did. And his father officially rejected him. I don't know how he did that. Okay, so officially, you know, it was recorded in, in his biography, officially rejected him. And it was said that his own brother attempted to poison him. He not only poisoned him once, but a number of times. And people in that area, his housing area, threw snakes into his house. Threw snakes into his house. And he was then rescued by, from mistreatment by, a, by the help of a nearby Christian community. He was rescued, right? Now, friends, we may be sitting here this morning thinking ourselves, thinking to ourselves, yeah, this one won't happen to us. La. My family won't poison me. Right? Won't poison me. But the fact, you know, friends, that's not the point. The fact, you know, the point is that when we are believers of Jesus, the fact that we are followers of Jesus, we will be hated. Period. All men will hate you because of me. Period. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You know, friends, the fact that we are a disciple of Jesus, the fact that we are followers of Jesus, people will hate us. We may not be aware, but you don't know who is trying to kill us, who out there is trying to kill us. But the fact is we will be hated. And, while, and so while we wait for that day to come, that day Jesus comes again, we don't know when, we are called to be steadfast, we are called to stand firm. Don't allow yourself to be swinged. You know, they call, uh, they call lalang, you know, you swing. The wind blow, then you swing this way. The wind blow, then you swing this way. Let us not be swayed. Let us stand firm. I've put there as the last question under think, reflect, and act on it. Uh, the question is, what steps can we take to support the body of Christ to be steadfast? You know, friends, as much as I've said before this, that, you know, we need to live our lives, you know, we still need to land our plane, all right, lives. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us, but, you know, but we still need to, you know, live our lives. But we cannot possibly do this alone. We need a community who believes and follows our one true God together with us. 
Therefore, one of the ways we can support one another is to be present in the community of believers. Make it a point to participate actively in the life of the community. Come together, pray for one another, be involved in the small group. Actually, small group is quite fun one, you know. It's not boring one. You should be part of the small group, all right? Because when we come together as part of a small group, we encourage one another, we carry each other's burden, and we spur one another on in our walk. We help one another as we live out our lives as disciples of Jesus, as we live in this period known as the last days. You know, this passage speaks about the signs of the, of the end times. Signs. But really, it actually speaks about our calling in the present. The signs are just the beginning of birth pains. It is not yet the end. So as Jesus calls us to pay attention, he calls us to pay attention in the here and now. Let us pray and ask God for his grace as we live our lives as disciples of Jesus in the here and now. Let us pray. Abba Father, we pray that you'll give us grace. Help us, Lord, to be watchful. Help us not to be deceived when we are distressed, when we are desperate, when we are confused, and when we are vulnerable. Help us to be courageous when we find ourselves in situations where we need to be, when we need to be a witness for you and help us Lord to be steadfast when we face conflict and divisions and when we find that people hate us help us Lord to remain faithful to you steadfastly and so Lord we ask for your grace to enable us in Jesus name we pray Amen.